0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Welcome to episode 152 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Today we're rejoined by Brad Smith of Walton Rods, after much delay, to talk about some of the latest products on his fly rod line, the brand new Range Reels subsidiary brand that they launched and so much more we recount the trip we took to steelhead alley in pennsylvania and he talked a little bit about recovering his mule deer harvest how the hunting operator shipped it to his address for the next 30 minutes you're going to hear this wide-ranging conversation and learn more about his really awesome company. Enjoy and let me know what you think. I'm joined by Brad Smith, now a real-life friend since we've been fishing in the last few months. But Brad is going to talk about what is happening with his company, Walton Rods. We're going to recount a little bit of our really awesome, epic steelhead trip we did in December. And he's going to tease a little bit of new product from... His brand new reel line and also some new models on the existing fly line with Walton Rod. So, Brad, good to speak with you again. Hope you're doing... likewise. Did you successfully recover the deer harvest? I think you were expecting a package of your deer. Yes,
1: it came last night. Excellent. Uh, it's a. It was a crazy process. Uh, as you're as you're aware, uh, most people probably, I'm sure, aren't. But we went out to Colorado on a mule deer hunt. And uh, my partner and Walt Rods uh, and his girlfriend, they live in Rifle, Colorado. That's where our shop is. We've been going out there for years, uh, elk hunting and mule deer hunting. And we finally were successful this last trip. Um, And it's all DIY, we're on public land. I mean, that's just what we do. And uh, I got a mule deer and then our friend, uh, Chris is his name, he got a mule deer as well. And uh, it's a pretty seamless process. And so once you get drawn, you gotta get one. And then we worked with a uh, company, uh, Wild Game Transport, I I believe is what they were called, Hmm. uh, where they just ship it to you on a semi. (laughs) So I had this guy call me last week and he's like, hey, dude, we're on the way. It's like, cool. And uh, they kind of gave me a window when they were going to be at my house. And uh, man, sure enough, they just showed up, a big semi rolled out in front. They handed me 80 pounds of meat and left. (laughs) It It was pretty, pretty seamless.
0: Very good customer service. i mean, Some of us still had our deer all the way back with us. I had to buy a cooler, as you know. On the same time, I was on the other side of. I, oh, of all that.
1: We were, we were, Sorry, my dog is barking. If you can hear.
0: <laughs> we we were very close actually in in region, and we both got deer. I think the same weekend. I got mine that Saturday. Okay. It was election day I think right the weekend after election day I got my deer that Saturday I got my white tailed doe and then mm-hmm. your nice muley buck either that day or Sunday I forget which day but uh, transporting uh, yeah. that meat back was a challenge <laughs> like yeah. with all my different uh, luggage and carry-ons but it wasn't impossible to do it was maybe a fraction of what you you had I think I had maybe 30 pounds of my deer to bring back but that's that's nice that they offer I mean you might as yeah. well for that
1: service if you don't want to. Well, the other option, it was you packing dry ice and mail it to yourself. I I, I assume, but uh, this was just the way to go. (laughs) So uh, it wasn't too expensive, I guess, for the, it was, it cost me uh, 275 bucks to get it.
0: Oh, that's not bad. Okay. And that's having
1: a semi drive it all the way to me from Colorado to Indiana.
0: (laughs) So factoring that all in yeah that, that that doesn't seem so bad after all actually yeah. but I got
1: you know my whole deer back which is nice other than just a few chunks you know the, the roasts and you know all that I this was, it was, was me carrying it on my back that's what that represented because I had to pack it out of the mountain
0: <laughs> okay. I haven't quite experienced that I I had I think I had an easier time with packing out my deer but I know from more experienced friends like yourself that it is kind of a challenge to lug all that but that was really nice that they safely
1: delivered it to you and hope hopefully- really got a you really got to want to pull that trigger.
0: <laughs> like
1: you, you got to mean it.
0: All the tags you're paying, the non-resident license fees. Mm-hmm. You better damn well get a deer.
1: I think with all your, uh, we've had opportunities on elk that we we didn't take, and I, I don't. It's more about the experience and the adventure, really, for us. And uh, I don't want to. I don't want to just shoot one because I can. I, I you know I, I want a good one. You know, something worth worth the trip. I mean, they're always worth the trip, but. This was a good mule deer, you know, and so we would have. I probably would have. I rather would have not shot one than shoot a small one. So, <laughs> so you're
0: never guaranteed a shot, horse, course. But if you're in, right. where they're numerous. Like you should be able to help call the numbers. Um, yeah. Much like take an illegal deer. Now I'm not encouraging that by any means. Sure. If i watching and listening, <laughs> but but if you're paying a lot of money, you might as well try to get one.
1: Try <laughs> to get one. I mean, that's the goal of going out there. But yeah, we were successful
0: eat so. it yeah take home not just to, ha- to have that grip, grip and grin but right. also the meat to take home but yeah. last time we spoke we got to finally meet in person you joined <clears throat> my dad in pennsylvania for what i think was probably one of the best fishing trips i've had in my lifetime and i don't know in in your fishing career if that it was pretty phenomenal
1: yeah for uh, for steelhead especially sorry my dog's moving my computer here um for steelhead that it was it was nuts I've never encountered, uh, uh, anything like that. It was, it was nuts, but yeah, as far as overall fishing trips, the numbers we've seen, the success rates, the hookup ratios, the catches, it was nuts. So <laughs> phenomenal. I want to do that again.
0: <laughs> My dad is saying like, we should go again. I'm like, we should, we absolutely should. Well, we'll yeah. like, let's wait a little bit, maybe until like November when it's cold, but not too cold. But right. the day we chose was really interesting because you were checking barometric pressure, We were trying to see that uh, ice had melted or thawed and it was like the perfect day. It was cold. Great. I mean, I talked about it in the video and kind of uh, the overview afterwards, but it was somewhat idyllic. It was just at the right cold temperature. The fish were biting, not in the first pool that we went to, obviously, but we, if you remember just, it was like a boiler uh, with them, but they just were not taking our bait. They, I remember hooking up on my six weight Walton rod. I hooked up one, but it, just started away afterwards yeah. I realized I probably needed to use your eight weight a bit more just because eight weight helps yeah just because of the girth and like you would certainly hook them up but I think uh, a larger weight capacity would probably be much better and I probably would have hook set it fish a yeah. lot better but I did with with one attempt when when I did fish with it but the second pool we went to if you remember just those limestone creeks and I think the sun was hitting it so it was thawing uh, there was the a lot little-
1: warming you could see them better they could see better yeah
0: visibility and i think mm. there were like more than 50 oh and, it was ridiculous and and uh and as we know limestone creeks are super ideal they're highly oxygenated and for those listening and watching that's what these steelhead like and i think salmon too to an extent but in pennsylvanian vernacular steelhead is a trophy rainbow trout in a sense and some of them have that hook nose jaw that looks very salmonoid, uh but if you talk to steelheaders out west they'll be like no this is just a um, i would say more refined or uh, talked about i would say a uh, big rainbow trophy
1: they're yeah they're a rainbow species but yeah the steelhead steelhead people are their own culture they're for they're fanatical about them you know like you have musky guys and walleye guys and carp guys and steelhead guys they they're their own niche <laughs> so they're but you can see, you hook in one of those fish; it's nuts. The way they jump and explode, and how strong they are—oh, yeah! I mean, they—they they get your—they get your soul.
0: <laughs> I've never had that much of an adrenaline rush. I think in a pretty natural setting. We we mm. fished on a private piece of property with Outdoor Access, which I'll certainly plug in a little bit more too. But I've talked about them; I've had them on the podcast. But if for something private, I think mm. super. Worth it. The price point we paid maybe fifty bucks per person, and I have membership, so I paid the nominal fee for that. But fifty bucks per person with our guide Randy, who was phenomenal, yeah, he great guy board. That was an excellent trip. I mean, mm-hmm. the trip and all the little hotel expense. Like if you're looking for something to do on the East Coast, and it's pretty equidistance between you where you're located, where I'm located. Like yeah. if you're on the East Coast going to Pennsylvania is a super great trip to plan very cost efficient and if you time it perfectly and you go to a property like this you'll be really good and taken care of if you especially yeah. go out to public waters
1: well all that uh, that's all locally known as steelhead alley i mm-hmm. mean that's that's famous you know people come from all over to fish that area and so it's it's yeah that's that stretch uh, yeah i've never experienced fishing like that it was incredible especially on the fly oh cow it was nuts <laughs> So thank you again for inviting me. Holy
0: cow. No, it was so much fun. You taught me a few things too. We got to meet and exchange different stories, Mm -hmm. more of your products. We got to make some memories going down and up that hill. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: All the eagles everywhere. That's a haul, yeah. Saw so many different things. And I think that's pretty fail to take away from fishing trips. It's obviously not just about the catch. And we were very keen on taking some stuff home. My dad's like, I want to take as much fish home. And it actually turned out really delicious. We spent a couple of the days, yeah. We cooked it. And, and my dad's like, this is comparable, if not better, than the supermarket. Obviously better than salmon. So he's like, yeah. other oh. way to get within the creel limits, of course, than by store-bought salmon.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, when you get it natural like that, I mean, there's nothing... You know, when you get the steelhead that come from grocery stores, those are farm-raised, so they have, sometimes they can have stuff inside of them that makes them last longer on the shelf and things along those lines, or it's not so natural. It's it's farm-raised or, uh, I don't know. If, if I'm going to eat fish, I'd prefer to be wild-caught like that, for sure.
0: It tastes better. I mean, yeah. these are publicly stocked trout. I think people fail to understand that when you're fishing private property, for the most part, especially on the East Coast, much of the fish that traverse these different little canyons and limestone creeks, they are stocked publicly. So you are fishing from public, uh, troves and, and yeah. resource. So you're still getting a kind of wild experience in a sense, still kind of managed. So it's like the best of both worlds. I think that's what people yeah. understand.
1: Well, most trout in general uh, across the United States are stockers. You know, you, th- we have quite a few wild populations, but there's way more stock populations. Mm-hmm you know, so most fish, except for brown trout, we got a lot of brown trout, but they're invasive. They're not even a natural fish here. And so uh, the rainbows are, and you know, and other species, but yeah, by and large, it's a stocked population we have. They're fun still, you know, they get big, they reproduce, they grow, but their origins came from a fish farm.
0: <laughs> right. But that goes to, yeah. I guess, the success of conservation because yeah. some people may question the means of it. And there's a huge debate surrounding, I think with steelhead out West, there's a huge debate surrounding on fish farm or farmed or privately farmed uh, steelhead. And I know out West, it kind of does work in a sense to help replenish some of the diminished numbers, especially the more endangered subspecies of salmon out there, um, because they're not at the point where they can self-sustain privately. So you could have these uh, subsidiary efforts come in and help replenish the numbers. But I think also it should be okay. Like here on the East Coast, like you said, most of them are breeders.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: they're not naturally occurring here, maybe except for, I think, the
1: rainbow trout. Rainbows are, brook trout are. Yeah, there's a handful of species, cutthroats. and We have a handful that are. But yeah, East Coast, I Pennsylvania alone stocks, what, mil, millions of trout a year. I mean, it's insane, right? A lot of those hold over and then they start becoming naturally reproducing. But they all came from a fish farm. You know, uh, a white... I, albino palomino trout is not natural <laughs> but people see them all over you know i've caught one you caught one of those yeah i think
0: it's I mean, call them palominos i know they're like golden rainbow traps maybe the the names are synonymous with one another yeah. but i think in pennsylvania and west virginia they do stock those now they're yeah. not naturally occurring they're crossbred of course mm-hmm. but yeah they are fun to catch they do oh, yeah. great fight and yeah. i think Sand to myself but i've seen some people catch it in the
1: wild as well yeah we have one well we have a couple trout streams here in indiana but uh the town of zinesville is um, it's a town on the northwestish side of indianapolis uh this the mayor i believe of zinesville is a big trout fisherman and so they actually have a budget where they stock trout in a little stream that flows through the town and so they have palominos in there this year and so everybody knows when one catches one and they hold it up, they're like, ooh, where, where'd you get that? <laughs> it's pretty funny because we all know there's only a few in there. But uh, nah, so far, they're still alive. But no, unfortunately, here in Indiana, the, the those summers get so warm, they all die. Mm. And so by June, you know, most of those fish are all dead. Uh, but then people, once the trout season, keep season opens, they catch them all out for the most part. But they're in there just for catch and release all winter. And then they get eaten in the summer or they die when the water gets too warm. So It's literally a put and take fishery that we have. (laughs) So
0: I think depending upon each state I've noticed in Virginia and Maryland, I'm discovering a bit more with some of the fisheries here. I'm going to check out actually a really great place called Beaver Creek. We'll have to check that out someday together Yep, to come back this way or come this way more so, but that is one of the most pristine limestone Creek fisheries in Maryland. And a friend of mine who's an Orvis guide he calls himself the dirty hippie dirty fly fishing hippie, and he's a really interesting guy, and we've become friends in the last year or so and He posted just how robust that fishery is, and he's mm-hmm. never seen he saw like a dozen and a half different trout in this stream, and it 's a really hard stream to fish from what yeah. I would say, uh, but he saw so many of them, and this is a put in take or this is a catch and release delayed harvest stream mm-hmm. some of it you can put in take, but Maryland is really. Unique in that there are so many different, I would say, delayed harvest or just simply catch and release streams. Within there's just you yeah. see a little bit of this in Virginia too, and you have to be cognizant of it. And obviously, sometimes in the delayed harvest streams, people do outfish them, fish them mm-hmm. out, and I think that's wrong. I mean, if the sign posted says strictly catch and release, you got to abide, yeah. so people can have fun and enjoy the fishery. When All it's right. take stream, that's a whole different equation. Obviously, factor. Yeah. The creel limit, I mean, each varies. I think one place local to me is like four per person per day, yeah. uh, no size limit. Um, and obviously you have to go according to what the department says and check yeah. place before you fish. But yeah, it's kind of sad that people are not cognizant of that. Like you should be aware of where you're fishing and not overfish or take anything that's not supposed to be taken.
1: Normally the signs are clearly posted. Most of the time people ignore it or they don't see it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so True. Yeah. Yeah hope with the new fishing participants coming they kind of learn the ropes and i think people will and that conservation component will be kind of embedded into them and and i think they'll learn more about it and that's not to say all new anglers are doing this but there's always going to be poachers unfortunately we see this oh, yeah. of course but there are poachers in in angling as well mm-hmm. but i want to talk more about some of your product sure. specifically and more broadly for those who are unfamiliar with Walton rods talk a little bit about the company and if you're at Liberty to talk about kind of the growth you've had and, and some of the shops you guys are going to be appearing in this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm an open, I'm, I'm, I hate the expression, but I'm an open book. So that's kind of the reputation that we built is uh, you know, an ethical kind of a thing. There's uh, fly fishing has had a huge surge through the pandemic. It's, it's been remarkable to see so many people getting involved in the sport uh, you see it in the social media side, you see it in sales, you know, rod sales, real sales, guides, trips, I mean, the industry has had an explosion of people getting out and experiencing it Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever the reason is people have gravitated to fly fishing more than any other sport during all this. I don't know if it's just the people had time to watch a river runs through it and wanted to experience it. I don't know, but people love it. And uh, we've seen that growth in ourselves and our whole kind of niche, I guess, from the beginning is, look, we're going to do this, but we're going to be honest about it. And so with how we price our rods, uh, how we sell our rods, how we design our rods, I mean, it's, it's honest from the beginning. And when you look into a lot of this, there's a lot, I had a conversation literally this morning with one of our customers, they were well, potential customer. Uh, They called, we were talking about rods and stuff and they were making comments about how some companies just have all kinds of fake rod science and it's hard to believe anything. You know, it's look what we did and how our rod is different and all. And, it, I, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of gimmicks. There's a lot of sales and it's, you see that industry and uh, where we've kind of gone from is we've designed rods that are a medium, fast, a moderate, fast, which is what 95% of the industry fishes your average fly fisherman, That's the only rod they're going to need, but the industry has keeps pushing faster and faster and faster rods, which is great because they're great. If you know how to use one but for that two percentage of fly fishermen they can use one nobody else can get you know well i guess they can but they can't get what the rod is designed to do and so we kind of stick more to that medium fast action which allows forgiveness when you can cast so if you're not a great caster the more flex allows for you to learn it allows for a mistake because if your rod's too fast you make a mistake your cast falls apart you know, if you have more bend, it can absorb that stuff. It allows you to lay a line down better. Uh, it allows you to pick a line up better to cast. It's just an easier tool to learn on. And then as your skill gets better, you can manipulate that medium fast rod better and learn how to cast better and, and hit pockets better. And then you feel when you outgrow it, because then eventually somebody will give you a fast action rod. And it's just like, Ooh, I mean, it just feels different. You know, it feels like a sports car. You know, okay, now you're ready. Now we can move on, you know? And and so we kind of started that from the beginning is let's design some medium fast action rods that we're going to sell direct. Uh, we're going to make these as good as we can uh, for a price that isn't just blown out of proportions because it's a fly rod. And uh, we found, uh, especially when we first launched, we're five years in now, we had a lot of people really gravitate to that. Is that uh, profit, the margin we put on our rods was enough to stay in business to sell another rod. It wasn't enough for us to go take trips and take and a paycheck, it sustained the business. And our whole business strategy from the beginning is look, we're gonna have multiple lines of rods and so we're gonna make a little per rod and so the overall will raise us up. And where you see in a lot of these cases, it's we're not gonna sell many rods but we're gonna charge five times more than what we can to sustain us. And so we kind of went the other way, and so we're at, we have five lines of rods now. Um, every one is a little bit different. Uh, we have another line, and every one of these rods we build here in the United States, and it's hard to do. It is it is hard to do because as we found getting into this, the industry is largely imported, and that, I mean that's the our, our economy is global as it is, and the, the especially the fly fishing industry, it's very global. And there's a niche out there of people that just want USA products. And so that's what we kind of are striving for. And now as far as where we're going, just like what you're asking about, we actually are bringing in our first imported rod that we're gonna launch in July. And we're very excited about this because as we're saying, again, we're being honest about it. Um, Since we're importing it, it's not that expensive because it's an imported rod and we're not putting a thousand percent margin on it like is kind of customary (laughs) so we're literally putting the same margin on it as we put on our usa rods and that's how we're going to be able to offer this thing for 195 bucks full lifetime warranty and it is a rod that if we build it ourselves in our own shop it would probably be around 400 bucks but because it's an import we can do this but we're also kind of putting our ethics first on this saying goodness all we need to do is is stay in business. That's our goal. Stay in business, you know, make enough that we can continue to grow. We're not trying to take advantage of somebody because we have an advantage on the purchase price. You know what I mean? And so going this route, we're going to be able to offer a really, really good fly rod at a really good price uh, and a lifetime warranty. It's hard to find a rod, a fly rod in the United States under $200 that has a lifetime warranty. Mm It just is. And, uh, we're going to kind of hopefully lead the way on that. But I mean, we're literally going to show people you can buy an incredible rod and not spend a lot of money, <laughs> you know? And so we're, we're very excited. And that's the rod I was using when we were in, uh, when we were in Pennsylvania, it was that one, that's the one you caught your steelhead on. <laughs>
0: so my pity steelhead, cause I was stillhead. and missing. But, I was, I was having great success with the Okuma steelhead rod that was excellent for a spinning rod but I was like oh, I need to finally like hook set one properly on a fly rod and and you were like I'm sympathetic with your case Gabriella so you <laughs> yeah. and you were right like it's so different from the 6 weight which you guys sent me to test mm-hmm. you oh, and I love that rod and I use that for standard trout fishing yep. fishing excellent rod for smaller fish of course but I I, I recognize w- like you say, when you want to accelerate your fishing experience and when you've started to get a little handle on some of the, these bigger fish, you're like, you need to have something a little more adept in your arsenal, a bigger weight rod. And I noticed that with your a difference. It's, you know, it's a little learning curve, but you can still, if you practice at it and you, you know, cast properly
1: and, and do the, like thing. all things working with a guide, yeah. you know, uh, hiring a guide, people will have the misconception. Oftentimes you're going to hire a guide to catch fish. <laughs> you hire a guide to learn from them so then you can then go catch fish <laughs> so goodness gracious i mean i worked with an orvis person his name's jason he runs our orvis shop here in uh, the north side of indianapolis and um he we did a free when i first got into fly fishing we did a casting session Took me on the parking lot you know this, this has been years ago <laughs> and just the 45 minutes he spent with me on how to cast was worth hundreds of dollars he did it for free you know what i mean but that's what you get out of a guide how to cast how to roll cast how to tie a stupid knot you know it's not to catch a fish it's how to learn to do it yourself you know catching a fish is a bonus you know but you know and then you that's where you also get the different equipment and so you fish with somebody they might use a different rod you've ever experienced and now you can try it learn from it and then make the decision man is that something i want you know does that help me you know, so then uh the other stuff we're talking about, we launched uh I have one in front of me, our reels. And so uh we launched a real company. Uh we literally just launched that um what two weeks ago now. And so we've had the pre-sales for a while, and um we did this as a different brand, but um, these are our reels. They're very and so they're pretty pretty, they're pretty. They got a groove spool so they can hold more backing. Uh it's a solid steel uh or a sealed carbon fiber drag. Uh, They're very light, you know, but um, fully uh, CNC, but uh, we're pretty proud of these guys. Uh, The industry has kind of responded to them. Uh, We're joking saying, that we're probably going to become more of a real company than a rod company, uh, (laughs) the way people are kind of picking these things up. So it's pretty cool.
0: That's incredible to have such great feedback. I mean, have people encourage you? I don't know if you're planning to do this or if it's feasible or financially practical, but have people said because of just the interest in your product, you guys should exhibit at like ICAST or some of these other fly fishing shows?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, we actually had a, a buyout offer last year. Somebody <laughs> wanted to buy us, yeah. and uh, we we I, I don't. I, this is my company. This is my partner's company. This is our company. You know what I mean? I, I, it's not for sale. But it was a super cool honor that somebody was interested. Like wow. Uh, but yeah, we're actually talking about doing ICAST uh, next year. And so we have new products that we're going to be rolling out uh, brand new fly rods that are, are going to be uh, our own blank, our own design. We have more reels that are already in the works and, uh, we're planning on doing an ICAST. It'll be a 2022 thing, but we'll be there. So this year we didn't do it, uh, just because we're kind of getting our feet wet in this still the real thing is a new thing. And, and, and we also kind of go back and forth on fishing shows in general. Um, Because with social media, I can, I can put out a post, you know, and we can reach thousands of people in a post, or we can spend thousands of dollars and go to a show when I can put out a post and reach the United States. (laughs) So I don't know, I, you know, maybe these shows are great, you know, great publicity and all that stuff, but our, our marketing strategy, our methodology, we've been successful without it. And so I'm not sure if we want to cross that bridge or if we want to just stick true to what we're doing and do more of it. So as of now, I think we're going to go to ICAST. But I don't know. Today's only, what, Tuesday. We'll see what happens tomorrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you do, cons- I told you about this show, but I think in terms of niche specificity, the Virginia Fly Fishing Show, I think they have pretty fair rates from what I understand for exhibitors. So that would be worth your while, I feel, because it's like it caters to your clientele. Yeah. You would get a good return on investment. It's a lot of fun, great food, and the
1: organizer. Sure. Okay, so that's we have. We've looked at that one. We looked at one in West Virginia, uh, Virginia, uh, one in Ohio, several here in Indiana, one in Michigan, one in Fort Wayne. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole series we've been looking at. Nice. But uh, we, like I said, we may cross that bridge. So we have kayak rods, uh, spinning and casting rods. We're going to launch very soon, and so we worked uh, with three different. Uh, professional kayak anglers and so we're getting into the bass world now
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, we're going to start seeing those are going to start creeping up on our social media probably within the next 15 days That's and so uh we're excited about those that might change the whole game with those things and so um these guys basically went to them they're friends of the company they, they're fly fishermen and basically said if you guys could design a perfect kayak rod what would it look like and so we took all three of their um designs and turn it into rods and so we're gonna have a full line of spinning rods and a full line of casting rods specifically designed to be fished out of a kayak and so uh, I can't give too much away about it because I think once these things hit the market you're you're going to see other companies making similar ones because they're unique so I'm very excited about those (laughs) so Industry by
0: storm. I love it. I mean, you. since I've been connected to you for many years, when we were both at wide open space, yeah. connected like five or six years ago, give or take. And then obviously we became acquainted in real life recently, but yeah, you've always been very innovative and on the cutting edge. And I think the fishing industry needs a little of that injected into just the whole niche at large, just because it forces people to stay fresh, to stay active. Yeah. And I mean, that's how we are as a country. We welcome innovation. I think the fishing industry should still be challenged to innovate and to make their products more accessible, unique, versatile, and at a greater price point. So I, I love the fact that you're trying to inject some freshness into the
1: marketplace. That'll be neat. I think these rods are going to go over. Very, people, people that kayak fish, it is a surging part of the industry. Yeah. Uh, quiet sports. I mean, last year in 2020, you couldn't buy a kayak. You know, they were sold out everywhere. Six month, eight month, one year long waiting lists.
0: I tried canoeing and and fishing. It was very difficult, so I don't want to do that again. I I like both separately, but I was like, I can't do because I was uh, trying to paddle upstream and it was, Uh oh yeah, yeah. so it was not fun. And I got my line tangled and right, but it was still fun for paddling. Um, but maybe kayak fishing is a little different and less of a moving stream. That's something. Yeah,
1: well, fishing kayaks are unbelievable. You know, you can foot pedal them. So you use your feet like bicycles to paddle and that way your hands are free, you know? I mean, and you have all your electronics now and all kinds of stuff. I mean, and you can stand up in them. It's like a little, it's a, it's a, it's they're bass boats, you know? And however, as we found, there's a niche out there for rods. So hopefully we can fill that niche. We'll see. But yeah, we're excited.
0: Having the bases covered. This is wonderful. All right, Brad, where can everyone connect with you and the company, social media-wise or online? Yeah, Um,
1: well, our rod company is Walton Rods, and so you can find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I have a Twitter, but it's abused. I don't ever get on that, (laughs) so I don't know. I Goodness, I'm managing too many social media accounts, Uh, but at Walton Rods is what it is. Walton is my son's name, and so I said we named it after him, and so it's all Walton Rods um and then for our real company uh we're under the same brand we're we're under the same company it's just a different brand uh that's range reels and so uh same deal i can show you the box here but yeah range reels um at range reels on facebook um on instagram same deal we're pretty active on both so for now i'm probably gonna have to get a parlor and i don't even know all these other sites that are out there I'll help you with navigating
0: the stuff and maybe
1: Go Wild would be a good place for you to advertise. We are on Go Wild as well. Uh, at Walton Rods and at Range Reels on Go Wild as well. Yes. We are there.
0: Yeah, I need to utilize that more because I go mm-hmm. there, to post my podcasts and consequential catches or harvest, but I don't go there often as I should, but that's also a good place to go.
1: I scroll, I scroll, I look at it. I don't post much, but I, scroll, I enjoy it. It's a great site. It is. Uh, people that are in the outdoors industry, I do talk about it. You need to join it. You know, it's a good, it's a good up and coming. It could become a dominant player in the outdoors industry.
0: Yeah. And they just enabled their desktop feature. I was saying that in I intro, I'm sorry,
1: (laughs) with respect to that, they,
0: they have a desktop feature, Okay. so you can access the app now on your desktop.
1: I will do that once we get off of this. That's cool. I didn't know that. I've just been using it on my Android.
0: (laughs) This has been wonderful, Brad, to catch up. Thank you for updating my listeners on some product, recounting our fishing trip, kind of demystifying fly fishing, and talking about some emerging forms of fishing with me today uh, for this YouTube broadcast, but also for my podcast. So thank you so much. And oh, I thank
1: you. We'll again soon. Yeah,
0: talk soon. If you enjoyed this conversation with Brad Smith and are interested to learn more about Walton Rod's, head over to the show notes section of the podcast, Easily Retrievable, and learn more about them. Follow them on social media. I will plug in links for that. And hopefully it motivated you guys to try out fly fishing and learn more about how they're diversifying their kind of rod portfolio and branching out into the reels business. I love innovators in the outdoor industry, and it's really exciting to see them kind of creatively disrupt The fishing market a bit more because it forces people to be creative and challenged more to to keep up with the trends and to offer quality products. So we need a little injection of that every now and then, and I think Walton Rods is doing an excellent job of that. Make sure to follow the podcast on your preferred listening service. Apple is the go-to one where most of our listeners hail from. Also, Spotify is starting to become a very popular provider. So if you have Spotify, subscribe to us there as well leave some reviews those go a long way in kind of gauging listenership find us on facebook instagram and twitter to never miss a beat nor guest announcement and send me some suggestions on topics and guests you'd like to hear on the podcast going forward until monday happy hunting and happy fishing everyone go outdoors if you're able to